outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. This week on the show, Tony and I are breaking down our recent rut hunting adventures, some highs, some lows, and a whole bunch of takeaways that can help you on your upcoming hunts. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light and their Camo for Conservation initiative, in which a portion of every sale of First Light Spectre Camo goes back to help the National Deer Association and the good work they're doing for deer and deer hunters. And today on the episode, we are talking rut hunting stories, rut hunting tactics, rut hunting tips, rut hunting survival ideas. Um, Tony and I have just come back from very interesting hunts in which we, I think both of us experienced the wild swings that the rut sends you without a doubt the the big highs the big lows the roller coasters of emotions um we had it all and so we're going to share the story we both have very significant stories to share big things happen with both of us there are dead deer on the ground there are deer still running and there are a whole bunch of things i think that both of us probably have learned from it and i think that we can share with you guys to make sure that your upcoming hunts here for the next couple weeks in november are better so, with that all said, before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, Tony, you probably haven't heard yet, but we have a new Rut Christmas Carol this year. It's called Big White Tails. So, uh, Phil, Riva, cue the music. Here we go. I love those B-I-G, Big White Tails. 
those stinky rug B.I.G.B. quiet tanks. I love those B.I.G.B. W.H.I.T.E. tails. I love those B.I.G.B. quiet tails. Big white tails, big white tails, big white tails are great. Oh, what fun it is to sit in a freezing cold tree all day. Big white tails, big white tails, big white tails are great. Oh, what fun it is to sit in a freezing cold tree all day. Dashing through the woods, for the morning light turns gray. Across the fields and draws, creeping all the way. Shh, 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 I climb into the tree. Big bucks are on the way. What fun it is to sit and wait for a gosh darn deer all day. Oh, big I'm sorry, what is this? Pizzicato strings? <laughs> Who do you think I am, Enya? Get this out of here. I don't want to hear it. Thank you. Big white tails, big white tails, big white tails are great. Oh, what fun it is to sit in a freezing cold tree all day. My hopes and dreams are high. The rut is finally here. Mark said it's the most wonderful time to kill a white-tailed deer. Pinch points and beddings where you'll find me hanging 20 feet in a tree. Grunt tubes, my bow, inspector camo. This really can't be beat. Ah, a day or two ago, I thought that this was fun. But now I'm frozen to my seat and the good times, they are gone. I've ate up all my snacks, my hands and toes are numb. And when I climbed down from my stand, that son of a buck decided to come. I love those B.I.G. big white tails. Those stinky rut B.I.G. big white tails. I love those B.I.G. Big W.H.I.T.E. tails. I love those big white tails all day. All right. That's pretty good, right, Tony? Not bad, man. <laughs> Not bad. Um, so that said how were you feeling like you just got back from your north dakota trip right i'm not even unpacked buddy everything's still in the back <laughs> of my truck just about yeah just just got back uh i'm tired but i'm feeling good you know i went through i went through a lot of emotions in a very short hunt out there and mm-hmm. i left on a on a good one so i feel i feel good about that but man this stuff i know it's so cliched and we talk about it all the time but it's when we say like, oh, it's, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster bow hunting anytime or bow hunting during the rut specifically, it's literally like that hour to hour all day long sometimes. And, you know, when you think about it, you think it in your head, like, oh, you have a couple of good days, a couple of bad days or whatever. But I was thinking about this when I was in North Dakota, I was like, this, this happens to me. And this and same thing in Oklahoma earlier, I'm up and down all day long every mm-hmm. day just about it's so inconsistent and it can break bad or good so fast dude you, you had an episode of foundations out this uh week i think it was this week or last week i guess it was where you talked about just the the added 
chaos that the rut brings to shooting opportunities, right? And I think that's just true, not just to shooting opportunities, but decisions to your emotional state of mind to everything because everything's happening fast. Everything's, you know, there's all these heightened expectations. There's all this heightened pressure on the moment because like this is supposed to be the time. Um, This is when you took your vacation. This is when the deer's finally daylight. There's all these things stacked on top. Not to mention, you might be hunting a new place, you might be out of state, or you might be, you know, doing all these different things. So it is, uh, it's it's energy, tension, stress, excitement, everything packed to the brim. Yeah, so. and the the whole reason I wrote that episode, and it really hit home. I thought about it a lot when I was in North Dakota on the first day. Was mm-hmm. how many people reach out and are like, "Man, I cannot get a big buck killed." Like I. You know, I had three opportunities yesterday morning and I got busted drawing twice and I shot over his back once. And, you know, I thought he was going to be at 20 and he stopped at 37. And these these shots during the rut that you get, they are just amped up. Like they're so it's so rare to just have that like nice, relaxed deer and just like you have time. Like it's it's always a little bit of chaos or a lot of chaos. And it's it's hard to close during the rut sometimes. Yeah, man. I think you and I both have very uh, perfect examples of this to talk about. Um, and so, I mean, like in the interest of time, let's get into it. If you want to you know, take maybe, you know, half of this time that we've got here today and, and share the story of your rut hunt, share your, the, your North Dakota hunt, which I don't know if you experienced this, but even though the hunts we're talking about happened at the end of October, at least where I've been, it has felt like full-blown peak rut. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing them doing everything they would do on November 7th, but they were doing it on October 30th or 31st. I mean, it was it was banging over by me. And I don't know if that was just because that amazing cold front we had just had everything feeling comfortable moving in daylight or what. Um, but I, I, the last few days of hunting I've had have been full-blown peak crazy. What have you seen? Well, you know what I think is interesting about that? I think that that's tied to being around a high deer density because wh- where we were is not a high deer density. And where I have a bunch of cameras up over in Northern Wisconsin is a real low deer density. And you would be like, maybe the pre ruts kicking in, like maybe somebody's going, but it, there's there, like, if you just took my life in the last five, six days, you wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be like, it is banging. I'd be like, it's like <laughs> creep. You know what I mean? And I think it's just, Part of it is just a function of, you know, I've got a buddy who's hunting southeastern Minnesota where I killed that buck earlier, and he's he's like you. He's like, oh, my God, it is on. Like, they are chasing. I'm seeing good ones. So I think I think that's partly tied to it. But that's a, well, real quick before you go any further, I think that's a really important thing for, like, people to key in on. And remember, like, and we've said this over the years. We've, we've all seen it. The rut is here but not there. It's now but you know, it's, it's it's yesterday in this spot, but it's today in this spot. So so never assume that what's happening right now will be the case six hours from now or 24 hours from now because it is so different what you experience from property to property or day to day or state to state. I mean, you know, our Rut Fresh Radio episodes, I think, illustrate that very clearly every week too. When you're hearing about what's happening in different parts of the country, it's usually pretty darn different. Or in one week in November when we were doing that over the last couple of years, lots of times like, I'd be having something awesome while you guys were sucking or whatever it was. Yeah. So that's, I think for people's mental state of mind, that's a good thing to remember. Like if it sucks right now, don't be too stressed because it could all change. Yeah. Well, that's, 
it, that's an easy thing to say. And I think it's hard for people to understand. I mean, I go into this stuff in most of the places I'm hunting where I'm not that surprised to either blank or not see crazy rut activity. I mean, you're, when you see it, you're like, that's pretty sweet, but it, it, you get to the point where you're kind of conditioned to realize, even though I'm anticipating this and I know it can happen at any moment, which is what makes it kind of fun. Like that's, that's what makes the time pass by is just the expectation and the anticipation. But so often it just doesn't happen. Like what, for yeah. whatever reason, why you're, when you're there in that spot or that area, it's just, it's, it might be tomorrow, but it's not today. And that's a hard yeah. thing. You know, and I think, you know, one of the things I noticed uh, where I was hunting in North Dakota that I've never seen before was the sheer amount of trail cameras in where I was hunting because, you know, it's public land. And I was like, man, if you had one of those days where it was happening there and then you had one of those stretches where it wasn't happening for a couple of days, that trail camera would only tell you that you should have been there. You do, right. you know what I mean? So I think a lot of people would look at their, you know, and they were all cell cameras and you, they would look at it and go, man, they're going today. I'm going to get in there tomorrow. Well, tomorrow might be <laughs> no bueno, yeah. you know, that's a good point. So, so walk me through like the, the most important points of, of this story. What, how did it happen? What happened? Um, man, I'm, I'm interested. So I, I went to a place not way out in West North Dakota, more in the kind of sand Hills, flatter area of the state. And my goal was, I had a couple pinch points. One I hunted one time. I had hunted this place one time four years ago and killed a pretty good one in there, kind of same time frame. So I thought I've got that pinch point. I've got a couple other pinch points with waypoints on them. And I'm like, this is going to be a volume hunt deal. Like the wind was forecasted to kind of be west, northwest, mostly for the whole trip. So I'm like, if, if I get set up right, the wind isn't going to, you know, it isn't going to switch 180 and then force me to recalibrate or whatever. So I'm like, this is going to be kind of a simple rut hunt. And we we got there uh, Sunday, probably, I don't know, midday, like noon-ish. So we had enough time to suit up and go. I was like, we're going to hike into this one pinch point I know of and ride that out. And so we're walking in there. And, you know, this out there everything is either a section or a half section so it's a mile by a mile or a half mile by a mile basically is pretty pretty consistent uh shape of the properties and the size you know a lot of checkerboard some of it's bigger but anyway this piece that i want to go to is a mile long and it's most mostly worthless till the back you know like 10 percent. and then you've got some river bottom stuff and a really nice funnel pinch point type thing so walking out there, and I know you've heard me say this, you're going to smirk when I tell you this. We find this one oak tree, just one giant, great big oak tree that didn't get, you know, like there's not very many trees out there to begin with, but this is just this big towering oak tree. Mm-hmm. And as we're walking up to it, there's a little you know, kind of scrubby tree and there's two fresh grapes under it. And then under the oak tree, there's acorns everywhere. And there's there was fresh snow, like 24 hour fresh snow with obvious sign that there was deer all over picking those acorns up and then another nice. big scrape then another big scrape and then a, a little patch of uh kind of dogwood and and brush um rubs all on the edge and i was like should i walk past this like <laughs> i'm looking at this going i did not expect this here this is this is more sign than i saw the last time i was out there 
And so anyway, I walk past it and it's like bothering me a little bit, but I get to, I get to where this river bottom pinch point is and the trails pounded by there. There's fresh tracks and it's like a funnel of trees along the river. And then there's a, even a pinch point there. So imagine like a bluff top, a ridge top, and then you have that kind of drainage on the side that always pinches them up or on top or in the bottom, you know, like a real consistent kind of bluffy deal. That's what I have going on. And so we get set up in stand and I'm like, this is, you know, you're, you're, you can't be real picky in your trees out there. And I'm like, we got two of us. I don't know. Like we're not, you know, I hate, I hate trying to get a tree that'll work with two people. Dude, it's so hard, <laughs> man. We, we had That's either neither here nor there, but yeah, you know. dude, we had to, we had to use an extra strap on the bottom one to get it around this tree and get up there. And it, you know, the way the ground falls away, it's one of those deals. And people run into this a lot where you're like, Oh, I'm going to get up, you know, 16, 17 feet, whatever. But the ground in front of you is already eight feet higher than where the tree was. Cause the terrain falls away. You know I mean? That's oh, yeah. super common. So we were like, not real high, but whatever. It was, you know, they're North Dakota deer. They don't look up as much as a lot of the deer I hunt. So I'm like, we'll probably be okay. And as we're sitting there, I'm like, man, there's a huge oak tree right on this pinch point that maybe that's got a bunch of oak or a bunch of acorns under it. I can see down in this dreamy river bottom stuff. And we sit for, I don't know, two and a half hours. And I look and see a deer coming up this cut right in front of me, this, this little drainage. And so I grab my bow and I say, there's a, there's a deer coming and it's like a 130 inch type 11 pointer, beautiful, like nice. heavy, you know, short tines, but a really cool deer. And he walks up and we weren't quite on the same page for being able like being able to shoot right away. And this deer walks up underneath that oak tree and just starts like nose in the grass looking for acorns. First deer we see, right? Like right away. And so I'm, I range him 26 yards and I can't shoot. He's standing there. And finally he takes a couple steps forward and I got this window to shoot. And, you know, Dylan's like, I got him. And so I'm like, this deer's freaking toast. And so I draw, put the pin on him and shoot and just hear this twang. And he runs off. My arrow went over him. And I was like, what? I thought something broke on my bow. Like, I'm like, I don't know what happened here. And I'm like looking around and like, is there something loose on my bow from travel or something? And I can't find anything, but I see that buck cutting back into the the river bottom stuff. So I knock another arrow and I'm like, maybe I just shanked it. You know how, like when that happens and like, you know, I was keyed up. I'm like, maybe I just screwed up, but we were both like something was loud. So this buck cuts down into the the river bottom. We lose him. And I'm like, I can't believe I just missed a deer like that on public, you know, right away in the hunt. So I hang my, I hang my bow and turn around to give, you know, to, to just talk about this like colossal screw up that I just did. (laughs) And I'm like talking to the camera and Dylan goes buck, big buck, big buck. And I turn around like to grab my my bow and this buck is like 10 yards away on this hill right next to us. So he's like right there and he's looking at me and I'm like, I get my bow, get clipped on and he's kind of like keyed up. Like, should I keep going through the cut? Should I turn around? And he looks away and I get drawn and he starts to walk. And I, I thought he was turning to go away. 
And so I just murped like really, like, like really quietly. And he took off like a freaking rocket gone, Ugh. you know, like so dumb, right? Like it, Was that the same deer or different, different deer? Beautiful eight okay. pointer. Just, just dumb. Like I should have just let it play out. Cause the way he was probably going to go, I would have probably got a really good shot either way. But I was like, you know how it is when a deer looks at you and gets wiggy and then oh, yeah. he starts to like turn, you're like, he's going to leave. Like I talk myself. You know what's going. Yeah. I talk myself yeah. into like, he's going to leave, but I had gotten drawn. I'm like, all, and he's 10 yards away. Like all he's got to do is just give me an opening. And just instinctively, I just like tried to stop him and he bails. And, and I'm like, holy shit. Like I just, <laughs> I just screwed up on two awesome deer like great deer for public land great deer for private land in most places to be honest with you so then i'm sitting there and i'm like okay what happened with my bow and we we watched the footage and you can see that buck is relaxed it's windy that's that front was coming in he's relaxed eating acorns and when i shoot he drops so hard that you can see his stomach, his belly hit the uh, snow on the ground mm-hmm. and turn. So you can watch the arrow just missed him. And so when we got back and watched it on the, the big screen with the sound, I don't know what I did. I was all bulked up, you know, and I just, I, my string hit something on me. I don't know what it was because you can hear it in the mic, the, the microphone you have right on your, you know, right below your mouth. Yeah, And so he got like a head start dropping, you know, and it didn't, it yeah. didn't look like it really threw my shot off hardly at all. Cause it went right over his vitals, but it missed him. And it was just like, what are you going to do? So then I was like, I took, you know, practice shot. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I can't recreate this. So it was yeah. just one of those deals where, you know, I just bulked up in all my clothes. Cause it, we were sitting up on a ridge in that North wind and just total rookie, <laughs> like whatever. So what's going through your mind after that happens? Like two epic, colossal failures on this hunt. You've got all this excitement built into leading up to those moments, and then bam, it's there and gone. Do you have that thought, like as that hunt ends, that night ends, like, dude, those those are my opportunities. You you usually can only ask for one opportunity on a hunt, let alone two, and then there it was on your first day and and no dead deer. Where where was your head at? Well, so what I didn't tell you, I should have told you is – when we walked in there and I looked at it, I was like, we're just going to volume hunt this and kill a deer. Like this is going to happen. So I was way confident sitting there. And then some dude drove out and this is before the bucks came in parked on a road that I didn't even know existed there an access road from like a neighboring property or something. I, I don't know. Parks, we can watch him getting all of his stuff on. And we had found one person's tracks in the snow, not coming to where we were hunting, but like close enough where you're like, okay, he was probably in here this morning. And that guy suits up in the back of his, you know, back of the truck, whatever, grabs his bow, grabs a camp chair, starts walking right at me. And so I'm like kind of hanging off the tree waving because there's only a little bit of cover back there. And he got finally got close enough where he saw me. He waved and turned around. So that was really cool. I really appreciated that guy doing that because you don't, you know, you don't know. Like I, that's what I would do if somebody was there, but it's it's a small spot. So then I go from, you know, I was real optimistic getting in there to seeing him pull up, really kind of knock me down a peg. Then 
two deer come in that are great and I screw up on both of them. So I'm like, I don't, at the end of the day, those are the only two deer we saw, two big bucks. And I'm like, this is still probably a volume hunt spot, but I don't know if other people are going to be coming in here. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I did just lose my two chances. Like, I don't know if those were my only ones or not. So it was like, you know, looking at the forecast and everything, it was like, we, we probably have enough time to get back on something, but my confidence level was like, not quite as, it wasn't quite as high as it was. You know how that goes. Like, I mean, you can go, I can go a whole season and not have two bucks like that, that close to me, let alone in five minutes on public land. Yeah. So what'd you do next? So the next morning, same wind, cold. I mean, it was like 25 mile per hour winds and we were up on this ridge and, you know, in North Dakota, there's no trees. So it's like, it's just whipping across the prairie, but I'm like, we got to go back, you know, like we got to go be in there. Cause I kind of thought that pinch point would be even better in the morning. So we go in there and sit till 11 o'clock and freeze and see nothing. And so then I was talking to Dylan. I'm like, we, we had kind of thought about doing an all day sit, but I was like, there's just no way we're going to be, it's, it was brutal. So I'm like, let's go get down and go back to that Oak tree. See if we can find a setup to just go grab the saddles and just do something or eat, like sit on the ground, whatever. And I could tell Dylan was like, uh, do you really think you should leave this spot? Like <laughs> we might, we might be in Jurassic park here and you want to walk away, but we get down, hike over there and it's halfway back. So it's like a half a mile from the truck, half a mile from where we were sitting just about. And we get there and it's just, it's just covered in sign. And we look at like every tree, like, could we get in there? Could we stand on that limb? Could he film this way? Could I shoot from this direction? Like, and you only have a couple options, you know, and we're just looking at it and I'm going, we're not, we're not gonna be able to do it. Like, I just, I don't see it happening to be able to shoot to this specific tree. And so I'm looking at the ground where that, all that dogwood and stuff is. And I'm like, man, we could almost just tuck in here. There was like kind of some deadfall stuff and some brush. And it was so windy that all these little, uh, kind of like poplar saplings just blowing in the wind or these aspen saplings, whatever they were. And they, they all still had their leaves on cause they're low to the ground and it was just movement everywhere. Like kind of, you know, sawgrass and just brushy stuff. And I was like, if we tuck in here, maybe like maybe a buck will come through or go grab a bite of acorns and not spot us. So we kind of set up and drag a dead tree over there a little ways and whatever, or, you know, some dead brush and sit down and he's just behind me. And I'm like, looking around, I'm like, there's no way, (laughs) like there's, (laughs) there's no way, but it was, it was, you know, it was like kind of out of the wind. We were a little buffered 35 yards from the base of that giant Oak tree, you know, kind of some patches of brush and one patch of trees where they could just filter in, you know, and not get spotted. And then on the neighboring property, you could see this private property, you could see on Onyx a giant slough. And I was like, man, it's that slough probably has does bedded all over in it. So I'm like, let's just ride it out. And we're sitting there. It's like noon, you know, so you can hunt till almost seven there, quarter to seven, something like that. So we have like seven hours of sitting on the ground where I'm like, we're not going to have like a crew, like a one o'clock cruiser come through like Mm -hmm. this is just not that spot so we sit there all day you know like the rest of the day and it gets to like 625 
and the it's blizzard. The wind is is blowing <laughs> even harder. We haven't seen anything, Ugh. and we had been talking, and I was like. There, there was one patch of big cottonwoods that had some dogwood underneath it, kind of like a three-acre patch in the middle of this big grassland. And I was like, "There's like, why wouldn't there be a buck bedded there that would just walk into here? And he's like, yeah, wouldn't it be so awesome if we looked up there and just like across the prairie, here comes this buck? And like five minutes later, I look up and here comes this buck, just like we envisioned <laughs> it. And I'm like, oh my God, there's one coming. And that buck walked in. And it was like he was committing a suicide. He walked in, like he could have come in from any direction because it's pretty wide open, you know? And he like takes a route right at us and then takes a hard right and just goes to 30 yards and puts his head down to feed on acorns. Never looked at us. So I dialed into 30 and shot him right through the heart. He took off and it was like first deer we saw being out there all day. And I'm like, we've seen three deer, and they've all been awesome bucks. Just wild. Wow. Wild. <laughs> Man, that is, uh, that's the rut. It can be, <laughs> you're right, well, that was very much a rut-type uh, classic hunt. Craziness. Dude, and it, you know what? So, the, the, you know, there's two lessons there, right? Like, again, I walked by the sign that I shouldn't have walked by, and he was like, he's like, I did not think we should have left that other spot. Like, he's like, I can't believe we came back here to do this. But it was just, you know, it was cold. Those deer were looking for calories. You know, like the two bucks that I shot at were both, they weren't rutting up. They were just point A to B to get to this one tree they knew about that had acorns under it, you know? Mm -hmm. And as soon as that, so it was like, don't walk by this. Like, don't walk by this sign over and over again. I keep running into that. And the other thing was... When when that buck ran off, he ran off, jumped the fence, and died um, right in front of us, basically. We were like, oh, my God, I cannot believe that just happened after a day of not seeing anything. And then I looked, and I saw deer legs coming from the backside of the tree through some of this brush. I'm like, there's another one coming. And look, and it's a doe. And she walked in through the brush, pegged us, and ran away. <laughs> like, and it, so, you know, people are always like, you know, like when we went down in Oklahoma for that, when I hunted with Steve and I killed those two little bucks and he killed a buck, like people will be like, how come you guys didn't shoot some does? It's like, we literally didn't have a chance. Like sometimes, you know, we take it for granted that, you know, these big bucks, like they're so cagey and everything, but a lot of times they're super confident and it's the does you have to worry about busting you and blowing up your hunt. Like they're, yeah. their tolerance, like pressure does, their tolerance is so freaking low. Yeah, that's true. So he was kind of on a pre-rut pattern then still. Like he was just like coming to eat at a high traffic area, right? So I think, Yes. I think both of the bucks I shot at were just like, I'm going to go get some calories and I know I'm going to be where does are going to go by. Like when you see it, when you see a fresh scrape line like that right now in a place with that much food, like concentrated kind of seasonal food, it's like the reason those scrapes are there is because there's a ton of does using it too. So I think he was just like, I'm going to go fill up my belly a little bit. Like he knew that does were going to come to him too. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, 
take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So if you were hunting that spot today when people are listening to this, November 9th, would you, what would you do on November 9th? Would you go to that pinch point that you originally went to and just stick with that original volume strategy? Like sit that terrain funnel and, and wait it out for days? Yeah, I, I would... And I'll, I'll say this too about that spot. This is real hard to describe, so I don't want to bore everybody. But this is like a, a ridge along a river 
that connects a bunch of cover, but it gets real neck down there. So you have a funnel where it's like, if they want to stay in the cover, they're staying somewhere in this little band of river bottom cover. How little are we talking? Like what's the distance this pinches down to? From, from the wide open stuff at the widest point to the river is 137 yards. So any, it might be anywhere from like 75 to 137 yards and it's, it's a hillside. So they could be on top. They could be on the bottom. They could be on the side, but if they don't want to show themselves, which they don't, they stay in that in that band of cover somewhere. So then you think, okay, well, we have that situation, which is a banging funnel. But then you get to the point where that little drainage, that little ravine's running down there. And now you have a funnel with a pinch point in it where they're either going to go above it or below it. So you have like, you have a good spot, then you have the spot on the spot. Yeah, and it also just yeah. happened to have those oak trees in there too. But that was like a, that was like a bonus thing. Like, so I would go there. And was your wind blowing out into the open stuff or out to the river? Over the river. Okay. Nice. So that's perfect. Yeah, it's it's a sweet setup. And apparently me and every person in North Dakota knows about it because it was covered in hunter sign. When Yikes. we when we went back and looked around, I was like, I just kinda wanna go see it and figure it out in case I go back. I could not believe how many tree stands and cameras and stuff were in there. It was wild. Well, it's amazing there's still those all those bucks in there. I think a lot of people set up some cameras out there waiting to get real cruisers. And I think that they were just like, I mean, this week now they're probably all over out there. But the other thing too, this was a really good lesson there is you have that ridge top, which is like a, the, the trail there's pounded. Right. And it's obvious. Like you look at it, they're following a fence line. They're following the top of the, the woods there above the river most of the sign, the hunter sign was concentrated there halfway down the hill, which is where the, the big eight came in that I messed up on is a pounded trail, like a side hill trail. And then on the bottom, there's another trail. And so it's like, if you, if you're like, I found this amazing funnel, I'm going to run this camera on here and wait for them to be cruising. You might have most of the bucks cruising 40 yards below you, below that camera. And you would never know it till you got in yeah. there and watched yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Don't, uh, do not fall prey to cameras knowing everything. Yeah. That is so, so, so true. Um, hmm. well, congrats on the buck, man. Thank you. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was cool, man. I mean, it, that, that area is, there's not very many deer there like overall, but the quality, like I've only seen, I've, I've hunted that area six days. I've seen way more, good bucks than does. I've only seen two does while I was hunting the whole time there. That's weird. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what the deal is. You know, if, when you drive around the private fields and stuff, there's, there's enough deer there where you see the does out and whatever, but for whatever reason, that spot has just been good bucks. Mostly. I don't even see scrappers in there. Hmm. Well, so, worked out. <laughs> it did. It worked out. Uh, it left me feeling pretty good. And it made me when you were when you were texting our little group text about what you're gonna get into here, I was like, I don't want to tell these guys what I just did. Like I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna let Mark <laughs> just have this thing right now because I know he's in a rough spot. Yeah. So should I tell my story? <sighs> yes, you should. All right. So since you and I last talked here in the podcast, uh we when I had left you last. I had hunted a few more times for my target buck in Michigan, that buck, the wide nine. 
And I'd seen him, you know, from while glassing a few times, and I've gotten well, more than a few times, a good number of times I've seen him glassing. Basically, like every evening I can get away for 15 minutes or 10 minutes, I'll glass this area. And um, I think I've glassed him like maybe four times in October or since September 30th, I think, in this kind of little bedding region. Um, and I've also gotten a few more daylight trail camera pictures of him. So throughout the month of October, I had kind of been circling around the edges of this like core area. Um, he, he, 94% of like all of my daylight sightings or pictures of this deer have happened in like a 10 acre, 15 acre ish type region, you know, like tight, um, which, it, which is a bedding area type thing. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like a, it's grassy autumn olives and little brushy things and stuff like that. So like, from my hilltop where I can glass, I can see down along this creek into these different openings. So I can see like kind of the center pivot right in the middle of it. And so that's why I've been able to see him so many times. And I've got a, a couple spots where I hunt in there that also give you visibility in there. So, you, so I've just been over the years been able to, you know, observe this deer doing his thing in this bedding area. That's like I said, like it's, you know, 10-ish, eight, five, I don't know. The actual, I think I did a circle the other day. The actual like bedding, bedding, the best of the bedding is about seven acres. And then, you know, the surrounding area around it that I have cameras or that I can hunt, you know, maybe gives us like a 15 acre zone where I've kind of said like since the beginning of the year, like it's going to happen somewhere within this like 15 to 20 acres. Mm -hmm. And I've just kind of worked the edges based on wind. And some days, like, I know he does come out of that course. I knew it was possible on the edges, but earlier in October, I wasn't going to bust into the middle of it. Um, but I did that and did not see him other than the scouting days when I could glass into the middle of it. So then first, well, third week of October, went up to the family deer camp to try to help my dad get a deer up there. That was that week in October. It was really hot everywhere, or at least warm and rainy. We had like, the entire hunt, five days, it was high 60s and torrential rain almost the entire time. It was lousy um, and did not see hardly anything moving. Unfortunate. Um, but my plan is I was going to get done with that. And then there's this big cold front hitting back in southern Michigan. So as soon as I got back from that hunt, I was going to start hunting back locally after the wide nine. And I would have three and a half days before I had to leave for Nebraska. So I was planning on at that point, like hit it hard, like get aggressive, um, get into that core area, get tight, tight, tight to where he's bedding, you know, in between where he's going to leave that bedding and transition out to, you know, check does or head out to the doe spots where he's going to feed in the evening where the does will be feeding and he'll do a little both. Um, So that was my game plan going into it. That cold front hit, it dropped, you know, 20 some degrees here. And my first hunt was a morning hunt. And so I was going to slip in and do a hanging hunt, saddle hunt, just on the downwind edge of like his core bedding zone. Like if I had to narrow down like that 10 acre area down to like the best three or four, that's where I was now. And so it's like, I was right on the edge of this super thick downwind side. And then there's an old like cut, like maybe a, I don't know, decades ago, maybe someone cut a pipeline there or an old two track or something, but there's like a 20 yard wide cut where there's no trees, it's just grass that kind of separates this timber. And then there's the cut. And then there's like the thick, 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 nasty, brushy stuff where they really bed. And I've historically seen that when I'm hunting on this edge of it, you'll get a good number of deer will follow that track. 
because that's that path of least resistance. So I was downwind and I was also on that perpendicular track. So that was like kind of like a funnel on that downwind side was my hope. Um, so that was the thing I was hunting. My wind was going to blow away from that back into some open timber behind me where there just isn't, you know, compared to the rest of the area, it's, it's lower deer traffic. Um, so got in there, hung my sticks, got up there in the saddle and right away there was deer chasing. There was like three little bucks on a doe running them around. Um, then I look in the other, another direction. There's a little buck chasing a doe. Look in the other direction. There's a little scrapper, uh, just kind of cruising. So it was like on, and this was, the 29th, I think. And, um, I don't know if it was maybe nine 30, nine 45, something like that. Um, I look to my North. And so this would be like on the other side of the Creek on the North side of his bedding zone. And there's a doe standing there on the edge of this thick, thick stuff. And then you see like a deer, like shake a bigger body deer and then pull up my binos. And there he is. He's standing behind her. Uh, just doing that thing that a big buck does to get this little doe in front of him. And she's like cowering and he's just standing tall over top of her. And then how, I see him pin his ears. Are? Uh, this is probably 180 yards, 150 oh, okay. yards, something like that. Cause I can see up that cut across the Creek. And then on this other thick stuff on that side. Okay. So he's like, I've got the really thick stuff to my right where I couldn't see more than like 20, 30 yards, but he's North of me just on the edge of the edge. So I see that. Then he pins his ears back and I see him like start strutting. And then I zoom my glasses over to the left and there's another buck that was like staring at him. So he goes and pushes that buck off and then he trots back and I see another buck come from the right and he goes, pushes that deer off. So right away, I'm like, okay, I know I've seen this movie before. He's on this doe. Everyone's circling him. Like the satellites are all circling around him you know, hoping to poke in there and get a shot at her, but he's locked on this doe. So I watched that for a while and then she squirts back into the thick cover and they disappear. I stay there till midday watching, hoping to catch him again, see him again, anything. Don't see anything else. I do see a few other bucks that like come up to this thicket and stop and like stare at it for a while and just like linger. And so everything's telling me like they're still in there. Right. That's uh, you, you just see this over and over again. He's in this thick, thick, thick. It's, you know, uh, about 200 yards away ish, maybe, maybe a little less. So I decided I got to pull down this set. And I think the best thing I could do is get as close as I possibly, excuse me, get as close as I possibly can to where they are and, and be right in that zone if I can, because at least every time I've seen a buck locked on a doe like this, like they're usually not going to move a whole lot. Like once they're in their little spot, he's going to be there all the way till that doe decides that she wants to move off to feed. And then he's going to be right with her. And they're probably going to be there for 24 hours or, or something. Like I've got to, I've got to, the way I looked at it is I said, all right, I have a unique piece of Intel right now that I have to move on. And I, I know where there's a really strong chance he's going to be for the next day or so. So I got to be as tight as I can and and hopefully take advantage of a few things that I know about this area. So number one, get as tight as I could without spooking. Number two, I had to make a judgment call on where if this doe does want to push out to feed tonight, what's the most likely way she'll go to transition um, so that I can pick the right you know side of that bedding stuff that they might go out on. Um, so that was going to be to the west based on where I've been seeing a lot of these deer head out to feed. There was a standing cornfield few hundred yards away, probably 300 yards to the West, give or take. Um, I figured that was the best guess of where they might head. So it was pretty windy and wet that morning. So I was able to tear my set down. Um, 
And I went back to the truck to grab some stuff. And then when I went back out, maybe an hour later, it had died down. And now it's like completely still. And it just, the leaves had just crisped up enough that now like everything feels loud. So now I'm like paranoid. And I'm like, oh man, we can't get to where I want to get. There's no way we're going to get there without blowing things up. Yada, yada, yada. So I'm all stressed out about it, but like, you got to get in there. And so I had to kind of, I readjusted where I thought I was going to try to get to. I was originally thinking I could sneak right up this line of trees and get like 40 yards off of where I saw them. I thought I could like get really tight because it's so thick where they're in. Like as long as they weren't right within like a yard or two of the edge, I thought I could use this tree line to like literally line up a line of trees and travel right along that line of sight and then get up in the back of a tree. But when the wind died down and it crisped a little bit, I realized, okay, there's no way that's going to happen. Um, I need to, I need to figure out a different way I can approach this, but still be in that zone. And so to make a long story short, I decided instead of getting right on the, like on the button where they were, I was going to get closer, but more down towards where I thought they would transition. So that way I would not have to get quite as close, but hopefully still be in the game. So I ended up being able to get within about a hundred yards of where I saw them. Um, and set up right along the creek that I mentioned that they were on the edge of, but they're on the other side of the creek in this thicket. And I'm on the opposite side, about a hundred yards down towards that cornfield where I was hoping they'd transition. This is also like, I've seen him, like this is that zone I can glass into. So I've seen him right where I'm at, like a thousand times over the years. I've seen him cross the creek right here. Like there's a big crossing right there where I'm lined up at. Um, they transition along the creek and then they bounce across the creek a bunch. So I'm like, I'm right there where all this stuff happens. Um, and I know like he's, I'm 99% sure he's still going to be somewhere when I'm, I'm within a hundred yards and I get set up in that tree and within being like up there for five, 10 minutes, I see two bucks set up at that same spot and start lingering, you know, just that, that zombie buck thing where they're just staring in there together and then they start sparring and then they start circling and then another buck comes in and sniffing around. And so you know, for the la- next like four hours, that's what was going on. Just like bucks circling around bucks, chasing little or little bucks, chasing does. Um, but they never popped out. Didn't see them. So that was kind of disappointing. I thought for sure I would see them. I thought like, I can't guarantee they're in a trend. Like they're going to move down towards me, but I got to believe they're going to come out of that pocket somewhere. I can see them. Cause I can see all the way down this Creek. And like, there's grass along the Creek for like 15 yards on either side, maybe 20 yards. So it's like a 40 yard cut basically in the middle of this bedding area that I can see. And I can see to the west side of this thicket too. So I, I've got good, even though like for them, they feel incredibly, incredibly safe because like tall grass and brush. But from 20 some feet up, I can see down into all this stuff like very well. Um, so I I thought I was very confident that night that I'd at least get something to work with, but it didn't happen. So the next morning, that wind was going to shift just a little bit. It was, it was northwest that night. No, it was northeast that night. And then that next morning is going to be Northwest. And I thought with the Northwest, it'll be a little risky. It's going to cut like, it's going to cut just beneath this bedding area. Um, But I had to be in there because I knew like, I thought he should be in there again. He's probably still in that dough. Um, I got to be in there and I, I can make the Northwest wind work. So I get in there really early, get all set up, feels great. Then it starts raining again. So it's rainy. Now it's windy and rainy and just kind of block. But, um, 
as those gusts pick up more and more throughout the morning, that northwest wind all of a sudden was like a west-northwest wind. And I'm throwing milkweed, and it's not cutting the bottom of the bedding area. It's like cutting into the bedding area. And I'm like, ah, this is bad. And then I would like throw another piece, and then it cut beneath it. And then I'm like, okay, I can. this will be okay. This will be okay. And then another gust comes up, and I throw a milkweed, and it blows it right into the bedding area due west. And I'm like, ah, no, this is really, really bad. And so for like 15 minutes, I played that game where like a little bit of my soul died every time. And I kept... <laughs> I threw so many pieces of milkweed, just hoping and praying that one of these times it would just consistently start going northwest, and it never did. It just got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where there's like 15 to 20 mile an hour winds, and they're blowing like right at the best stuff. And the whole time I'm thinking like, I got to go. I have to go. Like, this is a disaster. Um, We hadn't seen a deer the whole morning, and I'm wondering like, how many deer have winded me? How many deer have gone into that thing? You know, this is disastrous. You know you can't be here. You have to get out of here. But at the same time, not only do I need to get out of this tree and get a saddle and sticks out of the tree, but I've got a camera guy in the tree with all of his stuff, and it takes him like a half hour to get unpacked and packed up, right? You know? Yep. So I just know that this is going to be a debacle. Like every time you get in and out of a tree with two guys, it is so, so, so messy and takes so long. So I, 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 I was debating all this in my head and trying to weigh like the risks and the rewards of doing this. And I finally decided like, you have to go. And if you're ever going to go, you got to go right now because there's no deer around. It's rainy and windy. Cut your losses now. Scoot and relocate. Get around the other side of this bedding area. Get on the place where now it's like the right place to be and don't F this up anymore. So I make that decision. I tell my camera guy, hey, we got to do this. You know, this sucks, but I, I just think we have to do it. Otherwise, I'm blowing this best. I'm blowing the entire place that I'm trying to hunt for half a day or whatever it's going to be. You just can't do that. So we start packing up and I wait and I wait and I wait, you know, waiting for him to get all of his stuff put away. And I'm, I usually don't put away my bow or anything until, you know, he's mostly done. Um, and then once he's mostly done, then I can get my stuff packed up and then he climbs out of the tree and then I come out of the tree and take this, the platform and sticks down with me. Yep. So I'm stressing though, like we have to get out of here fast because anytime now deer are going to show up, um, anything we can do to get this thing moving along will be better. So he's almost done. I'm realizing, okay, like, I got to get, I got to get my stuff out of here. So I start packing things away and put my uh, quiver on the bow and unknock my arrow, put the arrow in the quiver and I tie on my bow rope and I'm just about, and you know, all throughout this, I'm like looking around, then I'm working, then I'm looking around, I'm working. And the whole time I'm thinking like, this is going to be so disastrous if the Y9 shows up while we're doing this. So I'm so worried he's going to show up while I'm doing this. So I do a little look around panic, do a little look around panic, but I don't see anything. And it's rainy and windy. I start to lower my bow. Like I, I lean it over the side. I'm about to start lowering it. And I turn and look over my shoulder one last time. And there's a deer 20 yards away over my back left shoulder. And I realize, oh, there's a deer. And then the next thing I realize is, oh, that's a big buck. And then the next thing I realized, oh, shit, it's the Y9 right there, 20 yards walking into my shooting lane. Perfect. Uh, so I'm like, Charlie, Charlie, Y9, 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 <laughs> like trying to get my camera guy's attention. I get my bow back up. He's just slowly walking. I mean, I can't tell you how amazing, Tony, this would have been if we had waited 10 more minutes. I'm able to get my bow up. I'm able to get an arrow knocked. He's still just nicely dupe doing along. He's in my shooting lane. I get an arrow knocked. I clip on. I look up at Charlie. Charlie's still packing his gear. He'd never heard me any of these times when I'm telling him. So I look at him again like, Charlie, Y9 right here, right here, right here. 
And he looks at me and then he sees my like complete panic stricken face. And he's like, oh my God. So I'm like, get a camera, get a camera. So now he's trying to get a camera out of his backpack. And I'm about to draw back on him now. Cause in my head, I'm thinking I'm shooting this deer. I don't care if he's on him or what I'm shooting this deer. And then I remember my tow rope is tied through the cam still. Uh. So now I'm like, I can't, I can't shoot this with a tow rope on it. So I, nope. I get my bow like in my knees and I start trying to like unravel a thing around the cam and by the time I'm able to get the rope off the cam, he had crossed my shooting lane and got like to the edge of where my wind had been gusting up into. And he got wiggy. He stopped. He freezes. He's like, nose up. He's looking around. He's like, something's not right. He didn't completely freak, but he's like, this doesn't feel right. He turned and bounced back like 10 yards back across my lane, stops, and then like takes like a 10 yards straight away walk. And then he stopped and he's at 52 yards and Charlie at this point is like, hey, I'm on him, I'm on him. I'm like, hey, it's 52. I'm not shooting him there. Yeah. And um, and then he just trotted off. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. And so I'm devastated, um, you know. Like, yep. You only get, you, you don't get a whole lot of opportunities, especially when you're after only one deer. Like there's one deer I'm trying to kill, and I just had him at 20 yards in my shooting lane and somehow was not able to get an arrow off. Um, you know, nightmare. Nightmare scenario. That is um, just yeah. such bad timing. Like, how unlucky can you get? Right. Yeah. Such bad timing. <sighs> so, but at least yeah. it got better, right? Sure. <laughs> um. So I tell myself like that all happens, and I tell myself like I'm mad, like I'm frustrated, but I say, hey, it's not the worst case scenario. Like, hey, you didn't get a shot at him, but at least you didn't miss and at least you didn't wound him. So it could be worse. So it's okay. You know, he's, he's still in the area. You know, he's not going to leave his core, core, core. Like he's probably not going to walk by this tree today, um, but he's going to be in the zone still. He's thinking about does. He's back on the move. He's cruising. So he's not with his doe now. So he's on his feet. You're still in the game. So as I decide, like I'm going to finish yanking the set and I'm going to go make the move I wanted to make. I'm going to reposition and get on that other side. Um, so I do that. I get, I do a big wide half moon circle. I go way South way. Uh, yeah. So it'd be way. I go West South and get all the way up on the other side of the property to the opposite side of this bedding area. So that wind was supposed to be Northwest, but instead it was West. So that, meant I had to get to the east side of this core zone of this bedding of this like, you know, seven to 10 acre area, get over there. And this is an area that I have not hunted a lot in, but I've hunted around it. Um, and I, I know there's like three, there's the main bedding area that I've been talking about. And then there's like two smaller bedding areas further to the South. Um, and I've seen in the past bucks will cruise this line when you've got a westerly wind, look, they'll, they'll cruise from the big, big bedding area that I'm on down to these two micro bedding areas to the south. And there's also basically a travel transition route from that big, big area down to another section of this corn, another area of standing corn, um, plus a little food plot I have in between that. So I thought, all right, if I get set up kind of at this far eastern edge of that big bedding area, but just south, there's like a tip of it that extends out. So I could be south and east of the main bedding. So I could catch deer cruising the downwind side of the bedding but also catch if there's a transition heading from the bedding, heading south to the corn, I could catch that bed to feed transition too. Get set up, had a heck of a time trying to find any kind of tree with any kind of cover. It was like all bean pole trees, you know, one of those where you know where you want to be, but no tree will work well for it unless you like, so if I go to a good tree, I'm going to be right in the middle of where the travel will be and I'll get winded. If I go to where it's safe from a wind perspective, I'm in a tree with zero cover. Um, so I spend like, I don't know how long standing around like, uh, 
And then I go to a tree. I'm like, maybe we can make this work. And then you can't get your straps around it because it's way too big. And ended up having a doe walk in with two little bucks following her. And I had to like lay on the ground for 20 minutes waiting for them to go away. So just everything was like, just felt like a disastrous day with everything that happened. We get set up in the tree finally. I find a tree that about 20 feet up, something like that. There's a big fork in the tree. So there's, there's a big Y. So there's no big branches on the tree, but I've got a big fork. And I thought, hey, we could get up in that fork and tuck in between the two forks of it. It's a pretty big tree. And I thought that's that's best we can do, I think. Um, so get set up. And, you know, the, the buck parade continues. Like lots of year and a half olds just cruising around. Anytime there's a doe, there's a buck like nosing or bumping around doing that kind of stuff. And to make what's been a very long winding story um, a little bit quicker here, Tony, after all that kind of stuff going on, the last like 45 minutes or half hour of daylight, I see a big bodied deer step out of the southern edge of that bedding area and start kind of cutting through the timber towards one of those micro bedding areas. Pull up my binos. It's him. He's on his feet and he's heading from north to south. He's out of range and heading towards that next little bedding pocket south of me. I try grunt, can't get his attention. I try snort wheeze. It stops him. He looks in my direction and then keeps going the way he was headed. I let him get right to the edge of that bedding pocket. He's now maybe 100-ish yards. And I give him one more like really hard snort wheeze. And that stops him. He looks at me, stares for like 30 seconds, and then starts coming in. Stops, makes a big old scrape, and then starts hooking downwind. So instead of heading straight at me, he does the downwind circle. So he's, he makes that scrape at like 45 yards and then starts cutting. And I had ranged a down tree in front of that scrape earlier in the day. So I knew that that was about 40. So as he starts, he starts walking through that lane I have at 40. I merp him to try to get him to stop. He doesn't hear it. He keeps walking. So he's getting closer and closer and closer to my downwind side, staying at about that 40-yard wide area but behind trees now. There's one more gap that he's going to get to that I see that should be right around 40. I'm able to range it and check. It's about, I think I got like 39 on one side of this log and like 41 on the other side. So I said, if he comes right through there, it's gonna, I'm going to use my 40-yard pin and my wind is going to be blowing like just a little ahead of that. So if he makes his pass this gap, I'm in trouble. So this is also on my off shoulder with my saddle set up. So as he's making this hook, so for people that don't understand, like in a saddle, you can shoot very well in front of you. You can shoot very well to your left if you're right-handed. You can shoot very well at right behind you. The one place that is a little bit more difficult to shoot is to your right side. Um, so the way to get that shot to your right side, which is like your offside, would be to stand up on your platform and spin and have your bridge go over your right shoulder. And then now you're standing up as if you're on a tree stand. And that bridge, or sorry, not your bridge, but your your tether is over your right shoulder, holding you to the tree. And you're standing upright, like, like I said, tight to the tree, like you're in a tree stand with your rope holding you tight to that. So I'm, I'm able to make that maneuver as he's walking through and doing that fork or doing that uh, hook. I get all that done. I get ready. He steps into that lane, step, 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 and stops. I mean, perfect as I'm drawing back. I was thinking about trying to merp him again because he was going to walk through that, but he stopped and my cameraman's like on him and I released that arrow and immediately when it hit, all I could see was like 
he had moved a bunch, and there's a bunch of arrows sticking out when he, when he spun and ran off. And he goes running out of there like a bat of hell, maybe 100 yards away or something. He stops for a second. I thought, like, man, is he about to tip over? And then he bolts off again. I didn't know what to think. My first thought was shoulder based on like the fact I can see this arrow. Like it looks like all my arrow is hanging out and like flopping. And so first thought was, holy crap, I just shoulder shot him, but I don't know. Maybe I poked it in there. Maybe it slid underneath the shoulder blade. Um, I don't know. But to save folks um, from more sob stories, um, we waited until I got some buddies that came out to help me because I can't see bad blood trails with my red-green issues. So I had the whole cavalry come out with hopes that maybe, you know, I had got in there. Like, we watched the footage a thousand times, and it doesn't sound like a really loud crack. So I started trying to convince myself, well, maybe I didn't get the shoulder, despite the fact that it looks like there's no penetration, like maybe I got in there. Um, but we got in the blood trail. There was blood. And it was consistent, but it was like a drop here, a drop there, then like a smear, and then a drop here, a drop there. We tracked it for three quarters of a mile. And he basically just walked. It looked like, you know, he ran off and then he got into this cornfield and he walked for like half a mile down this cornfield and then hooked and made like a J hook back into his bedding area. And we were basically on, I don't even know how my buddies, well, my one front, has a dog. So he always brings his dog with him. So the dog got us through sections where there was no blood for 50 or 70 yards. And the dog would get us across that. And then he'd find like a pinprick and then we would go for 20 or 40 more yards and then like a pinprick. And I couldn't see any of this stuff. So if it weren't for my friends, I wouldn't have been able to do half of this. Um, but we covered about three quarters of a mile, covered a lot of stuff. We were tracking till like, I don't know, two something in the morning and, you know, dried up, no more blood. And at that point, I think all of us for a long time knew what had happened. Yeah. But, you know, the way I saw it going was like either this deer, either I poked it in there and that deer is dead fast. Like there's a bunch of blood and he's dead fast. Because if I got in there, it would have been like a heart shot yep. or, you know, the front of the lungs. Um, it's either that or I did, in fact, hit the shoulder and this is just a meat hit and he's going to dribble blood for a long time, but he's going to live and we're never going to find him. Um. And so after we didn't find him dead within the first couple hundred yards and we never got like that screaming blood trail, I kind of knew it, but we're like, Hey, we have to keep following as far as we can and keep looking. And, you know, we, we walked all around where we couldn't find blood circling out and bring the dog all over the place, just trying to hopefully smell something or pick up on anything. Um, but no more blood, no deer, no recovery. And, uh, that is where things stand now. Have you got a picture of him since? Not yet. Mm. It's been dead. Like, uh, my cameras are completely dead. And I think that's because there were seven guys walking all over the core bedding area for like eight hours. So I think, uh, I think every deer in this uh, zone has known now to vacate the premise for a while. So I, uh, I'm hopeful that eventually the, the deer will return and he'll be one of them. You know, I mean, everybody's, when that happens, everybody's like, Oh, he, I'm sure he lived. But honestly, seeing that video, I was like, you're chasing a deer that's healthy. Like it didn't, didn't look like that arrow got in there at all. Like I would, I would be very surprised if you don't start picking that deer up again, eventually, unless he wanders off and gets shot by somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was, um, without a question, the worst day of my hunting life. 
Like I've never had a day like that where first I blow an opportunity. Like I have my target buck at 20 yards and can't shoot him. And then I say, well, at least the worst case scenario didn't happen. At least I didn't wound him. And then that night, get another opportunity, shoot him and wound him. Do you, um, what do you, what do you feel like happened on the shot? Man, if you look at the, just like your situation, that deer dropped so, so, so far. He dropped and spun. And so if he had stayed where he was, when you look at the video, it would have been a hard shot. Yeah. It would have been like right at the, like it was on the forward side of it, but it would have been beneath the bone, beneath that big bone plate. And when it got, you know how, you know how it looks, how there's like a J or like a big curve in, right? Yep. So it would have just 10 ringed him right through that spot if he had not dropped, you know, a big, big chunk. Yeah. So could I have like, I always like my, I still don't ever wait quite long enough. Like would I give myself an A plus on the shot? No, but I was still like, it was a good shot. Um, it would have killed him. Great. If that hadn't happened. Yeah. So I, the big thing I took away from it is two things, Tony, the last five deer I've shot at with a bow, four out of the five have jumped the string in a really significant way. I've hit high on four of the last five deer all because they jumped the string in a big way. So in two of those, the last two deer have been 40 yard shots. So I know lots of people shoot deer at long ranges and 40 yards isn't that long, but I think I, I feel kind of done with 40 yard shots for a while. Like I'm just not Dude, stoked 40, about this at all. 40 yards. We were, I was talking about this with Dylan on the drive back. I'm like 40 yards is a poke on a whitetail. And they are just different. You know, you go mule deer hunting, you get a 40 yard shot. You're like, this is a gift in the whitetail woods. You're like, like, you know, it's, and it's different too. You know, if they're in the beans and it's opening night and they are just nibbling away and they haven't been hunted and it like truly relax, like different thing. But when they're keyed up during it's just, that's a long shot, man. Like a lot can go wrong. And, you know, I saw that video of how much that buck moved and I, I said the same thing. I'm like, this buck did just what my, my first one did. I mean, it, you can, you know, that's one of the crazy things about filming is you can sit there and mark where their back line is Yeah. when you shoot and then watch how much they drop. And it is crazy. Even, yeah. you know, we did this when, when my daughter shot that little spike with her crossbow uh, in September that deer at 20 yards out of a crossbow that's smoking fast, that deer still dropped like five inches at the shot. And that's a tiny spike close. So you yeah. think about, you know, double that distance on a deer that's, you know, been around and done that. Like they can get out of the way, man. Yeah. And I know like I, I always aim like lower third is I'm, I'm, I'm usually aiming for a heart shot is what I'm aiming for. Um, and so I've always done that thinking like, well, if they, if they jump the string, I'll still get in there. And you know, that happened with the buck I killed in Nebraska last year. It's like, so I was aiming lower third, he jumped the string and I hit high, like top of the both lungs. So that worked out in that case. But in this case, you know, it was four just enough so that when I went high, you know, it wasn't high into the back of the lungs. It was high into the back of the shoulder. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, like, I, I don't know, man. I feel like it might be 30, 35 yards max for me for a while after these couple situations. I just, uh, I, I do, I hate, I hate, 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 hate this. Yeah. Um, 
man, there's some people I know who like they miss a deer, like, ah, well, you know what happens. Or they, they hit a deer and don't find it, like, ah, you know, whatever. Um, I don't get that at all. Like I I don't I do not get that at all. I can't I can't swallow it. And I would much rather watch a deer walk than have this. Yeah. So I think uh I don't think I'm taking a 40 yard shot for a while. Yeah. I, I, I'm also well, sorry, I was also gonna say like I need to figure out what else I can do to maximize the sound reduction of whatever archery setup I have. Like I need quiet. I need quiet, quiet, quiet. Um and and something's not quiet enough about what I'm doing right now. Are, so do you do you know what the the total weight of your arrows is? I can't. I'll I'll say it wrong if I try to guess it right now. I can't remember off the top of my head, dude. And I know like Yanni already told me when it comes to like Yanni's like ah oh, you gotta you might want to reconsider your arrow setup for hitting shoulder blades. Um, no, and and I'm not on that track yet. But. No, what I was gonna say is. You know, the heavy, the, one of the real benefits of heavier arrows is quiets your whole thing down, you know? And yeah, I mean, okay, you might hit a shoulder and get through it. Whatever. That, that's not why I would, I'm just curious. Cause if you shoot, there's, there can be a noticeable difference. If you're, you know, you have somebody who's shooting like a 400 grain, pretty light setup out of, you know, 65, 70 pounds versus somebody who has like a 520 or, you know, like a little bit heavier. I mean, it's, it's one way to, you know, tone down the vibration a little bit on your bow but then you've got bigger pin gaps and it's, it changes things a little bit you know it slows it down yeah yeah i don't know i think in the off season i'm going to go back to the drawing board and uh change some things up because four out of five is not a coincidence anymore yeah um and those were two 40 yard shots and a 30 yard shot and I'm blanking on what other deer I'm thinking of here. And there's a 25-yard shot. I don't know. No, what I'm getting at is that they weren't all long shots. Like, I've had string yeah. jumpers at 32. Um, so I'm going to mess with my archery setup a little bit more. Not right now, obviously. Um, for right now, I'm just going to – I'm not going to shoot super far. So I'm leaving for Nebraska here in like an hour. And I'm just going to get them close. Yeah. Or not shoot at all. Well, and, I mean, that's that's one of those things like – 20 yard shots are just dreamy. Like that's just, mm -hmm. it's just such a nice range. And it, once you just push it out, I mean, it just, it, everything changes and it doesn't seem like it should be that big of a, a difference, but man, you start getting to 30 to 40 yard range, like 30 to me, 30 to 40 is like a world of difference. You know, 40 is, 40 is out there, man. Yeah, man. Like 30, 30 and in, feels like it, i mean i shouldn't say this i, I won't say it because i'll jinx myself but <laughs> <laughs> but it, but i agree like you know a 30 yard shot feels like i don't know throwing a dart at the wall from five yards away or whatever compared to that longer range just more stuff happens yeah. um so yeah i've been in a, 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 a real low point for the last day and a half very bummed about it very disappointed but at the same time it is what it is. It's hunting. This happens. Uh, keep keep on keeping on. Try to figure it out. And um, I, I feel very confident, like you said. Like, I feel very confident he should be back. He should be around. I don't think the hunt's done. Um, I don't I don't see and, that, that dude dying from that. Yeah. So maybe get a little redemption in Nebraska and then come home after that and, and pick it back up. But I think my, my big takeaways as far as, like, things other people could take from this is, is number one, be careful about your shot distances. I think hunting TV 
I, I know we sometimes knock on hunting TV a lot <laughs> and we are hunting TV too. Um, so it's a little bit like the kettle calling the pot black, but I would say we're a little different than the usual. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there that make long range shots seem easy. There's a lot of people that talk about long range shots and it's become norm. And I actually feel I am guilty of this. Like I feel like, oh, my, like you won't shoot past 40 yards. I feel a little bit like people maybe think it's crazy that I have a max range of 40. So many people shoot to 50 or 60 now for whitetails. And like so many guys shoot to 70 to 80 out west, 100 yards out west, all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, I'm still holding at 40. I don't care what other people do. And now I'm going to make it even shorter. Um, but do not be um, – convinced because you see a few people on TV taking these long shots to think that you should be doing that too. It's so much better to let a deer walk than have to deal with what I just dealt with. Yeah. It's not worth it. Well, and it, especially I mean, during the rut. And one like of the things said. about it too, is it's just, if there's like a, if you're pushing it some way, whether it's distance or get a shot off quick or something, if there's like the, a, a little bit of rush to it, a little bit of panic to it, the odds of it breaking bad for you are just, they, they like orders of magnitude worse. Like it's just, mm-hmm. so you just got to think that like, Oh, if, if I'm going to, Oh, now he didn't take this trail. He's going to be 40. And it's he, like, I got one window. I better make it happen. That is a recipe for a, a screw up almost always, yeah. you know, it's different and- at closer. Like you can still like, it's different, but when you start pushing that range and things like that happen, it's so easy to screw up. Yeah. And, and to your point in that episode I was talking about earlier, like in the rut, those things that you just mentioned are almost the case all the time. All the time. It's like during this time period, you almost never get that calm, cool deers feeding in the food plot or in the beans kind of shot. Like almost all the time, everything's more stressful. Everything's faster. Everything's so. So if ever there's a time to shrink your shooting range, now is the time to do it. This is not the time to stretch it out because you really want to kill that deer. But that's probably what a lot of people do, right? Is yeah. they feel like this pressure, like, oh, man, there he is at 45. This is going to be my only chance. I better take it. Ah, shit. There it goes. Yep. Um, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, I wish I could take my 40-yard shot back or I wish I could have. I don't know what. Um, I wish this whole thing had not happened the way it did, but it did. So learn from my situation. Yeah. And well, uh, Yeah, and it, yeah. I mean, one thing that, happens there too the two things you do see that on hunting shows a lot but i also know that there's a lot of self-censoring out there there's a lot of stuff that gets left on the editing floor they don't show it yeah Yeah. so take that with a grain of salt right like there's you're you're seeing a highlight reel you're going to see the heart shot and not the leg hit you know yeah Uh, the other thing is like it's so easy to panic when you finally have that encounter. But if you're, if you're kind of getting your act together and you're, you're like in the game that way, it's, you'll have more chances. Like you can, you can let like, like what happened with you, you get busted by a buck. He wins you your target buck and he's right by his bedding area. So often you would look at that as like, this is over for now. And you go scoot onto the other side and he didn't, you know, go nuts and get out of there. He wasn't living somewhere else. He just walked away and started doing his thing again. Like you can, you don't need to always force something to happen. Cause when you get into that realm, like it's just a recipe for failure. Yeah. Yeah, man. And that's my, that was my next big takeaway was that exact point, which is just that, you know, when shit hits the fan, it's not all done, you know, pivot, make an adjustment. Like if, if there's any silver lining I can take out of the other day, it was the fact that like I had, I was set up in a spot. Like I, a lot of things that I thought would be true proved to be true. Like I thought the first, I thought, okay, hey, I got to be tight, tight inside this core bedding here. So I went in there, saw him locked on a doe. 
Next thing I decided, I was like, hey, I got to get tight to that again, tighter. And then I need to give it some time here because I think he's going to stick around. And sure enough, the next morning, he wasn't on the dough, but he was still like right in there. Um, now it didn't work out because of what I described. Then things got messed up. And I said, okay, he's not going to totally change his world up. I'm going to get to the other side of this whole section. He's still going to be cruising. He's still going to do his thing. I'm going to surprise him in the other opposite side where he's not expecting me. I just basically did a wind push for him to the other side. Yep. And, and there he was. So... I think, you know, sticking to your core rut principles, I made sure like I'm always on the downwind side of a doe bedding area or I'm in some kind of pinch or something that's going to funnel some deer activity together. I try to do the same thing on the other side there as best as I could. And I think that that general approach, like it's so easy during the rut. It has been for me in the past, like 10 years ago, I would chase sightings. I would chase pictures. I'd be here, then I'd be there, then I'd be here, then I'd be there. And these deer don't do the exact same thing from one day to the next. So if you're chasing like a picture, it almost never works out. You got to stick to principles. I think don't chase isolated incidents, stick to principles when it comes to the rut. The principle being like, okay, is there a reason for this deer for, for any deer, but and maybe it's a specific deer to be downwind of this bedding or, or in this pinch point, or is there convergence of all these things? Like how many of these things can I stack on top of each other to make this an optimal location? Like in your case, you've got that, that ridge kind of pinch with the river cover pinch. And then you also had an oak tree in there too. So you had like stacked attractions all there. Like that's, that's a principle for rut hunting success that works. So don't get hung up in these freaking trail cameras and, and, and this crazy, like, oh, do this wiggy waggy thing. Like just keep it simple, stupid. It's the rut. Do the things, you know, that work, stick to those, stay focused. Don't go crazy with your shots. Don't get caught up in the craziness of the whole thing. Um, and you know, manage expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was a laundry list, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, that's all I got though, Tony. <laughs> um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on your end or any other thing um, that you want to add to leave people here? When they're listening, it's November 9th, 10th, 11th, somewhere in that window. So, I mean, people are like right there in the heat of it. We're about to hit lockdown maybe for some people. Any other suggestions on that front? Man, I would say treat treat the next 10, 12 days like you would have treated the last 10, 12 days. And even though you're going to hear about the lockdown and even though your cameras are going to slow down and, and people are going to start talking about how it's getting harder, for me, I, this I'm, I'm heading to Wisconsin here to hunt some big wood stuff. And I know it's going to not be like too fast and furious. Like it's going to probably be a little bit subdued, but I think I have a better chance at a big one now, even though my days are going to be probably more boring they're still going to be out there doing their thing. There's there's plenty of time left here, even though we're not on the crazy chase fest that was Halloween or whatever. Just stick it out. Like it's not it's not over, and it's not going to be over for a little while yet. Like keep going. Yep, that's wise wise words right there, Tony. I guess with that, let's wrap this sucker up. I appreciate you. Uh, excuse me. I appreciate you hopping right out of the truck after the trip home and, and doing this with me. And, uh, thank you for the, the words of consolation for me coming off of mine. And, yeah, buddy. um, I gotta go, yeah. I gotta go finish butchering that deer. Do you need me to send you some venison or are you good? Hey, now, Hey, now <laughs> too soon, too soon. Too You'll soon. get there, buddy. You'll get there. All right, man. Well, 
Thank you, Tony. And thank you to everyone listening. Make sure you're following me and Tony over on Instagram to see any other more frequent updates or up-to-date updates from us. Make sure you're listening to the Foundations podcast every Tuesday. We've got the Rut Fresh reports every Wednesday where we're getting up-to-date intel from hunters from all across the country. Right now, that's particularly useful and interesting as things are changing really quick. So check that out. Um, I think that's it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this community. Stay wired to hunt. And this week, we're going to send it out with some different tunes. Let's cue last year's rut sing-along of the year, The Most Wonderful Time to Kill Deer. Boys, good to see you. Hayden, it's been a while. Hey, sorry I'm late. I crashed my Pontiac Aztec into a light pole and had to walk the rest of the way, but I'm here now. That's what matters. Can you get me a glass of scotch, please, Hayden? Just two rocks in there. I don't like ice. We're starting already. This is happening. Okay, just give me the give me the glass. Thank you. Okay, here we go. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. With the rut now just starting and dashing and dotting and lanes cut and cleared. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. There's far too much ice in this glass. It's the half-happiest season of all. There's got to be at least 12 cubes. With grunting and bleeding and cold fronts and sleeting the last weeks of fall. It's the half-happiest season of all. There'll be pictures for posting and bragging and boasting in truck beds with big bucks in tow. There'll be narrow missed stories and tales of near glories of Booner Bucks missed with our bows. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Not just one, maybe two. There'll be no doze of blowing and luminox glowing and blood trail so clear. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Hey, excuse me, can I have a napkin, please? I just spilled some scotch on my loafers. I can't have dirty loafers in the studio. Yeah, oh, thank you. Tailgate beers for drinking and big bucks a slinking and chasing and scent checking does. They'll be fighting and scraping and no more escaping and arrow shot true hitting home. Key change? What? No one told me that. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. I was very unprepared for this. There'll be much morning sitting and cold fronts are hitting the dawn crisp and clear. It's the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time to kill There's too much ice in the glass. Two rocks! Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today 
at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.